Welcome to The Rodcast with Rod Turner, the show all about real estate. We discuss everything that affects asset-backed businesses, investments, and go deep into the details with some of the best in the business. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Rodcast. Today, I'm joined again by Simon Howley from Bell Bell Howley Barotten and also Jane Deeks, who is their VAT specialist. Jane's been on the podcast before discussing VAT. And today, I think we're going to go into a bit more detail about groups, property groups, options to tax, transfers of going concern, and maybe even run through a couple of scenarios. So welcome to you both. Morning, Rod. Morning. So if we can start this conversation then talking about VAT groups, what are they? How do you qualify to become a VAT group and why would you want to? Why is it useful in the context of maybe a property development company? Well, in regards to the VAT groups, the reason that you'd want to join a VAT group is because any supplies between the various different members of the group would be disregarded for VAT purposes. So there'd be no VAT charge, so you'd get a cash flow saving. It's not really sensible to join a exempt property letting business with a taxable property business but just recently we've had a case where the client um, had a fully taxable company and it incurred some costs in regard to converting a property but then they wanted for financial purposes in order to gain finance they wanted to move that property into a another company now that property was residential and it was part built property so it wasn't possible to get the property across anything other than exempt and therefore any of the input tax already had occurred in regards to the professional fees and the various planning permission that they'd gained would have been lost and it was in the region of £20,000 so it was possible that we could have put the two companies in a group transfer the property that would be discarded from a VAT purposes the £20,000 VAT would still be recoverable the business then was able to get the finance to carry on completing the property development and everybody was happy <laughs> and then once the property was developed it became a zero rated supply and obviously the VAT was recoverable um, in regards to how you can become a member of a VAT group, then all the companies have to be uh, owned by one particular person. And then there's various other conditions. There can be some conditions regarding businesses where there's a lot of turnover involved and there's some anti-avoidance that would need to be looked into. But your basic rule is that they're all owned by one particular person or one company. I believe that the limited liability partnerships can also become a group okay. of a group now where before they didn't. And I think also you need to nominate but one member of the group to be the nominated <laughs> reporting VAT person. That's right, yes. And that person's called um, the representative member. And so, that person would then be, all the businesses would be joint and separately liable within the VAT group. So that's something that can sometimes put people off wanting to enter a VAT group yeah. if they're trying to keep the businesses separate. So... I've got loads of questions off the back of that now. So for people listening who, like me, that is just this sort of complicated beast that is just really difficult to get your head around, I think, can we just go through a couple of basics, which I think will help? So in terms of property, you've got different types of supply. So you've got that exempt supply and zero rated supply. So 
Am I right in saying then that the sale of residential property on the whole is always VAT exempt unless it is a new build property being built for the first time? So if you've just built four flats and you want to sell them, then they will be zero rated. Whereas if you're just selling a normal residential property, that would be VAT exempt. And the difference between zero rated and VAT exempt is if it's a taxable supply. So if it's rated as zero, we can be rated at 20% or 5% or zero. But if it is rated in any way, then you can claim back any input tax, VAT tax that you spent. Is that right? I'm sure you'll be able to explain it in a much more sort of concise yeah. way. But Yeah, so the general rule with VAT is any VAT that you incur on your purchases, which is known as input tax, is recoverable if it's attributable to a taxable supply. And as you say, the, your taxable supplies can be zero rated 5% or 20%. So anything that supplies you make that are exempt from VAT, then generally you can't recover the input tax because it's not a taxable supply. However, there's a potential if you're making taxable supplies and exempt supplies that the, you then fall in with the realms of partial exemption. And it's quite complicated, so I won't go into too much detail. I'll try and just give you the brief overall. But if you were spending a small amount on a property to refurbish it, and you was also the company also made other taxable supplies, there's the potential that sometimes, even though you, you bought an old residential property, you spent some money refurbishing it, and then you sell it, there's sometimes the potential that even though it's exempt, you can recover that input tax because of the partial exemption rules. So the partial exemption rules are there to ensure that the input tax incurred by a business making taxable and exempt supplies is apportioned according to what's taxable and what's exempt. But then they have this thing called the de minimis limit. So if your input tax that relates to exempt supplies, and that includes input tax that's directly attributable, plus a percentage of your general overheads, if that falls under this de minimis limit, which is £7,500 a year and not more than 50% of your total input tax, then you'd be treated as a fully taxable business and therefore you can recover all your input tax, even though it relates to an exempt business. So if you was buying a property and you thought that the refurb was only going to be in the region of 7,000 or less than 7,500, then there's potential there planning to say, well, let's put that property into this taxable business because we know we'll be able to recover the input tax via the partial exemption rules. There's also potential for planning, but I don't think it's as, as commercially viable. But say you had a property and it was going to cost you £14,000. Maybe you did half of that work in one partial exemption tax year and then the other half in the next. That, again, all to do with timing and your partial exemption year depends on your back quarters, but it could be between, it could be like April, March, April, May. So it depends if you're buying a property round about March time and you thought, oh, well, I could do half of it in March and April and then do the rest in June, then it could work, but that's a bit more, not as easy to deal with. <laughs> so in, in that, a couple of things that obviously would need to happen. Firstly, that company would have to be elected for that. So it would have to be a VAT registered business, wouldn't it? And also it would have to be making taxable supplies, doing something else other yeah. than that activity. So within property, that could be selling new build property. So if you build new properties and sell them, it could be serviced accommodation, holiday lets. Yeah. It could be property management. Or a construction company. Or construction, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so those things. And that company would have to own that property as well. Is that yes. right? Yeah, so it would have to be. Like for Jane, or is it, 
when do you decide to do the the calculation for the partial exemption? Do you, is it just because you fit into the rules, you start doing it from a certain quarter, or do you elect to go into that? Or how would you assess whether yeah. it's viable to do it, or when would you start it? Yeah, I mean, partial exemption is, it's just a matter of cause. If you make taxable supplies and exempt supplies in one particular quarter, then you're partially exempt and you're required to do a partial exemption calculation. Then each quarter, so the £7,500 is divided per quarter or per month if you was on monthly returns. So it could be if you made, in one back quarter, you made exempt supplies and taxable supplies, it could be that you are partially exempt, you exceed the threshold and therefore you can't recover the VAT that relates to the exempt supply. But then the next three quarters, you're fully taxable and you recover all your input tax. Then at the end of the year, you do a partial exemption annual adjustment. And then because in that back quarter, your threshold was 1,865, something like that. Not great with maths, but one fourth of 7,500, whatever that is. Yeah. So then when you get to your partial exemption annual adjustment, when you're looking to see whether you're fully taxable, whether you can be treated fully taxable and you've met the de minimis limits, you're looking at the 7,500. So you've only had 2,000 worth of exempt supplies in quarter one that you couldn't recover. Yeah. Quarter two, three, and four, you, you're able to recover all your VAT. And then in the following tax back return would be your annual adjustment. And then that two grand is then recoverable because you do fall back in with the de minimis limits. So you could have a period, some businesses are one quarter you're restricted with your input tax, another quarter you're treated as fully taxable, you can cover everything. And then the next quarter you're restricted again. And then when it gets to your annual adjustment, you can recover it all. Or it could be the opposite way around. You could be, oh, yeah, we can recover that. We're under the limits. So for three quarters, you recover. And then when you get to your annual adjustment, it's like, oh, actually, you're going to have to pay that back because you've exceeded the limit. Right. OK. So this is really kind of relevant for anyone who, I suppose, is doing kind of smaller refurbs and flips, but who is eager maybe to look at any VAT savings that they can make and it would be the case that they would have to buy it, buy those properties within a company that is making VATable supplies in another part of their business and also is obviously uh, registered for VAT. So I think that could be really helpful for... Yeah, and it's, all, it's also something that most a lot of businesses will miss. Hmm. So you might have a uh, manufacturing business that sublets a property and it hasn't opted to tax that property and it doesn't realise that actually it's partially exempt, and then it might do a, a refurbishment because the roof's falling in, and it's quite a large amount. So even though they've not done the partial exemption calculations because they haven't realised, they've not really spent any money on the property, there's not really many overheads that relate to the, the subletting. Technically, by law, they should still be doing the partial exemption calculations, but they probably wouldn't lose out. Yeah, but yeah. this one day the roof collapses and they have to spend 20 grand on the roof and then that's where they get caught when they have a VAT inspection and HMRC says, well, why are you recovering this 20 grand? Yeah. You're making exempt supplies. Yeah, that's something that I remember happening with a client recently. Would HMRC yeah. penalise the taxpayer for that if they hadn't performed the calculation correctly or, or just missed it, like you say? Would they penalise them? They wouldn't penalise them. What they'd do, they'd make them go back four years and do the calculations. If that resulted in some of the input tax has been recovered that shouldn't have been recovered, then you've got an error and therefore HMRC can then charge penalties. So you'd have the back to pay back, plus you'd have a penalty. And then the penalty would be more because it's not been voluntary disclosed. It's been that yeah, it's yeah. HMRC. About 30-40% maybe of the tax? Yeah, plus interest. Plus interest, yes. Well, then depending on the circumstances, it might be possible to get that penalty suspended. 
and then eventually if you meet the conditions of the suspension the penalties are withdrawn so jane just if we can then move on to maybe a scenario that i know is very very common certainly for property developers let's say you've got a property developer and they are purchasing a new site and they're going to build some new properties on that land okay and their intention is actually to hold onto these properties and rent them out and keep them in their portfolio so most developers will develop a property in a special purpose vehicle because if they're getting finance on that they won't want other assets within that business so they might buy the land and the it's unlike there could be vat on the land there might not be let's assume that there's no vat on this it, let's assume it's maybe a residential site and they're going to knock down a building and then build new apartments on there so they purchase the site and then they decide to elect their company register their company for vat because they're going to be building new houses and there's going to be some fees in there although because they're building new properties the vat supply for those is zero which means if they appoint a uh, contractor to then do the build works, that contractor is filling them out plus VAT, but VAT is rated at zero because they're new dwellings. However, that company will likely have some other costs associated with that development in the form of professional fees and various other costs. Maybe they're buying items that aren't through that main contractor for the building. Maybe they're supplying some of the materials, some of the second fixed items like bathrooms and kitchens. So all these things will, will have a VAT cost to them, even though the, the bulk of the construction work will be billed as 0% VAT. Then it comes to selling the property and because they're only getting it as, as zero rated is when they sell it. So they wanted to initially hold the property. So if they want to hold it and benefit from the reclaiming back that VAT, they still need to sell it. So if they had a group structure and they had a holding company which owned this special purpose vehicle holding that development site, and they also had another company owned by the holding company which held all their property investments, so their uh, buy-to-let portfolio, then they could, in effect, sell, sell the site once it's built to their property investment company with the rest of their portfolio in. And obviously, there would be no stamp duty there because it was a linked transaction. And that would enable them to then, because they are making the sale, to claim back, reclaim that VAT on any costs which were not included in the zero rated costs from the main contractor. Am I correct on that? Is there anything I've kind of I've missed out or got wrong? Yeah, I mean, first of all, you can only VAT register a business if you're making taxable supplies or intending to make taxable supplies. So if your company's going to build these houses with the intention of letting them, then it's not got any eligibility to VAT register. But they intend then to sell it to another of their companies yeah. and so that company will let them, yeah. That would crystallise their taxable supplies and therefore give the eligibility to register for VAT. And yes, and I mean... That is a structure that's accepted by HMRC. So that's a really common structure whereby yeah, businesses intend to build properties. They want to keep them, but obviously it wouldn't be viable, commercially viable, if they couldn't recover the input tax. Because like you're saying, the majority of the input tax will be zero rated, but there's still going to be a lot of money in professional fees and architects. And if they take on some kind of uh, building materials themselves, they purchase those, they're always 20%. The thing that's zero rated with new builds is what we call the first grant of a major interest. 
Now, a first point of a major interest can be the sale of the freehold or the sale of a more than 21-year leasehold. So as long as that would go across to another property, then they've crystallised the taxable supplies and they're entitled to recover the input tax. And then as I'm not actually a stamp duty specialist, I believe Simon is, but I understand that as long as the companies are within a corporate structure, then that property can go across without a stamp duty liability. Is that right, Simon? Yeah, group relief, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, that was it, group relief. And so maybe some similar scenarios of that might be where a company is purchasing a commercial building and they are intending to then convert that commercial building is into residential so a couple of things on that we know that when you're converting a property or changing the number of dwellings or even i think changing the use then that supply is rated at five percent yes is that, is that correct yeah. yeah and so it would be a similar case there where you'd be selling you might sell that property once it's built to your investment company and you'd be claiming back those 5% costs because they are new dwellings. It's the first grant of a major interest again there. So that would, you'd benefit more because there's more input uh, yeah. going into that bill because it's done at, at 5% again, yeah. rather than 0% for all the construction works. And again, there may be other fees involved, which would be at the standard kind of 20% rate. So that's yeah. another benefit. Now, obviously on that because you're buying a commercial building and the company is, that's buying it is registered for that, what happens in terms of a building being elected for that? So now we're talking about the actual building rather than company. Does it have to be elected for that? Or what, what are the scenarios involved there and what could you do? Yeah, well, let's get the terminology correct. Yeah. Sorry. So, <laughs> okay, so first of all, you, you don't elect a, a company to be VAT registered. You, you VAT register, you know. So you register, then, yeah. And then years ago, the option to tax, this is showing my age now, years ago, it used to be called the electing to exemption, the waiver, I don't know, okay. some complicated, silly name. And then everyone used to call it the option to tax as like a slang word. And then they eventually changed it to the option to tax. Now, the option to tax, you don't opt to tax a building. You can't opt to tax a building. What you do is you opt to tax your interest in a building. Even if you haven't got an interest in a building, you can opt to tax that building. So if you wanted to opt to tax Buckingham Palace, you could opt to tax Buckingham Palace, even though you don't own it. But if some point in the future you did, then you've got that option that lasts for 20 years. And the reason that people opt to tax commercial properties, usually because they're renting it out and therefore they purchase, usually purchased it as a new build, which would be automatically standard rated, or the sellers opted to tax the building and they've incurred VAT. So if they're renting it out as a commercial property, they'll opt to tax so that they can recover that back. Now, when they come to sell that to someone who's going to convert it into residential property, once the residential's completed, the option to tax is, just doesn't apply anyway. But you would want to get rid of that option to tax because when you buy that commercial property, not only do you not want the thousands of pounds cash flow issue of the VAT, you're also going to get an increase in stamp duty land tax because that's always charged on the VAT inclusive amount. So it is possible to issue the seller with a particular notice to say to them, well, we're converting this to residential property and therefore we want you to disapply your option to tax. Now, that has to be done before the relevant date and the relevant date is the time when you agree the purchase price. 
it's not something that the seller can say, well, I'm not agreeing to that. I don't want it. I'm not agreeing to it. They have to agree to it. But what the seller can do is say, well, actually, I can't sell this property without the option to tax because if I do, in the past 10 years, I've recovered loads of VAT because I did a big major refurbishment and I'm going to have to pay 50, 60,000 pounds back to HMRC. So therefore, I'm not going to sell this property to you. So although they, by law, they have to accept the disapplication, the way they get around it is saying, well, sorry, I'm not going to sell the property to you. I'll sell it to somebody else who's willing to pay the VAT. That's and so that would normally happen when they have reclaimed large amounts of VAT normally due to... Yeah. That would usually happen where the seller has got a capital item within the building. Okay. So either it purchased the building for over £250,000 within the last 10 years, or it did some kind of major re- redevelopment of over £250,000. That puts the seller into the capital goods scheme regime, which means that if you change your use in the next 10 years from taxable to exempt, you're going to have to pay back to HMRC. Right, okay. So it can be yeah. a real... Kind it, of- So what I would usually say, though, in that case, because if you think about it from a commercial perspective, so the seller six years ago spent a load of money on this property. He's obviously increased the value of that property a hell of a lot. Say, for instance, the seller purchased the property six years ago plus VAT. Obviously, in that last six years, the property value has escalated quite a lot. If he accepted the disapplication and then made an exempt supply, the amount of VAT that he has to repay back to HMRC may be significantly less than the extra amount of stamp duty that the purchaser would have to pay because of the VAT, because the property value has gone up so much. Right, okay. Um, It might be a commercial negotiation where the purchaser says, well, actually, if you disapply the option, I'm going to save £100,000 on stamp duty but you'd only have to pay back 50 grand's worth of input tax that you've recovered. Therefore, yeah. we'll pay you an extra 50 grand on the purchase price because he's still 50 grand better off. Yeah, yeah. Got Which it. is not a, obviously not a VAT thing, but it's just understanding the VAT to have that commercial negotiation to get something for a better value. If that and, and obviously, if they agree to sell it and, and they don't take the option to tax off, sorry, again, I'm, I'm using the wrong terminology. Well, that's right, the option to tax, yeah. So, the option to tax. so if that remains, then obviously the main thing for them, to, the buyer to consider is obviously just the cash flow issue, because they're, they're going to be able to reclaim that back on their first quarter, but they're going to have to wait three months to see that. And obviously they're going to have to pay that out. So that's going to be a, an issue for them. Yeah, and the stamp duty land tax, whatever increases because of the VAT value, that is lost, obviously, because that's not recoverable. And is it true, Jane, that you can revoke the option to tax within six months if you don't use it? Yes, yes, you've got a cooling off period. If if you're buying an auction, you need to get the notification into HMRC before you buy it at auction. So obviously, you won't be aware that you will actually buy it at auction with the bidding, of course. So you can elect to opt at the building before you go to the auction. If you're not successful in, in the auction, you can revoke it afterwards. You can, yes. But I'm not really dealt much with auctions, but you can do that. That's, that's great if you need to do that. But if we're buying a commercial property with a view to converting it to residential, even if we made an option to tax, it'd be relevant because we're turning the property into residential, so the option to tax wouldn't apply anyway. Yeah, okay. Going back a bit, when you're obviously developing new properties... That's happened years ago where people couldn't actually sell those properties and they rented them out. There's a clawback, I believe, for the input tax if you can't sell them. 
Yes, yes, that's right. So if you develop some new buildings and the intention all along has been to sell those properties and then you can't sell them because maybe the economic climate, then you rent them out on short-term lets, then HMRC have agreed and they've actually, there is a business brief and they're quite happy that what they'll say is it's a one-off, it's like a partial exemption calculation, but it's just a one-off. So if you say, well, I believe that we're going to rent these properties for 12 months and then we'll sell them, then you do a calculation and you base it on a 10-year period. So you take away one-tenth of the input tax that you recovered and you pay that back to HMRC. If you end up letting the property for two years, three years, then it doesn't matter because it's just a one-off calculation. If you did end up selling the property in six months, again, it's tough because you told HMRC you thought it was going to be a year. Yeah. So again, that's why that kind of group structure will help because if you do find yourself that you've built these house, these properties and the climate's gone, the economic climate is not great and you can't get the sales price that you needed and now you got to hold them well actually you can just sell it to your other link company there exactly. the company so that's yeah. why it's so i mean there's so many benefits to that structure that we simon and i've talked about yeah. in lots of podcast episodes but that again is another one yes and the thing with that is though we need the clients to speak to us quite early in, cool. any, in, in fact with all the developments it's always best to come to us early because sometimes Clients will go and buy a property and they'll put it in the one particular company and then it can cause issues because actually if they'd have come to us, we'd have said, no, put it in that company first and then that will help with this structure or that structure. Because again, even if you can resolve the matter by setting up a back group, it's still, you're going to incur fees to set up that back group. You, you might not really want the two companies to um, be jointly and severably liable for the VAT. And again, it's just, it's hassle, more paperwork. Well, I was talking just about not the VAT group, but just a group of companies. And oh, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was just thinking, though, about the clients that come always seem to come to you when it, they've just done something. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. If only you'd come to us a little bit sooner, we could have uh, saved you a lot of money. Exactly. And is one another option then? Obviously, we haven't really talked about transfer of going concern, but if you were to buy a commercial building that did have the option to tax on it, you couldn't get it off because maybe for the reasons what we said already, the seller didn't want to, would refuse to sell to you on that basis. Then can you purchase it with a transfer of going concern in order to mitigate your cash flow issues? And if so, what is required to qualify for that? Not if it was a commercial property that you intended to convert into residential because you wouldn't be, you've got to have a business. You need to continue that same going concern. Yeah, that's right, yes. So if, you t- if someone had just started to build a property and it was a, a building site and they'd started to build, then there's a potential there that you could get that across as a transfer of a going concern. Because it wouldn't be a first grant of a major interest, but there may be the possibility of it going across as a TOGC. But no, in that situation... You, you would have to just wear the van, cash flow issue or... Yeah. yeah. I had a client actually, spoke to a client the other day, and he's thinking about buying at auction a, tenant, a property rental business. So yep. it's a let cafe and a let shop, and obviously it's opted to tax, and he's thinking about buying that at auction. So what I've said is, well, that's that could potentially, if we get all the things in place, we can get that across as a transfer of a going concern. 
Yeah. And the client was like, but what's the business? There's no business. It's just an investment property. And I said, but the business is you're getting income coming in from rental. So it's a property rental business. So, I mean, a lot of accountants never see that type of thing as a business because of the way it's treated, I think, from direct tax perspective and accounting perspective. It's always seen as an investment. But actually, from a VAT perspective, it's trading income and therefore there is potential for getting them across as property rental business. That's very interesting. Yeah. Okay. And then if we can just touch on some of the reliefs as well, obviously we talked about zero vapor supplies for the first grant of a major interest. So really in, in layman's terms, that's when you build something new or convert something new residential and sell it, yes. uh, whether that's on a long lease or, or a freehold. Other ones we've got are when you're converting uh, properties or changing the number of dwellings, you've got the 5% supply. Also for vacant properties, I think this is one that, Lots of people kind of forget about if a property has been vacant for two or more years, then same thing. If you're bringing it back to use, you can get the reduced 5% on your costs for that as well. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. That's called the empty homes condition. Yeah. And then isn't there also one for 10 years? There is. Yeah. So the difference between the two is when you, um, if you buy a property that's been empty for two years. Are we talking about residential here? Sorry. Yeah. And you refurbish it, like you say, you can get those refurbishment costs at the 5%. But then when you sell that property, it's still an old residential property and therefore it's still exempt. Yeah. Yeah. What I would always say with the empty homes and the 10 year empty home rule is always get proof property has actually been empty. Don't just take the the seller's word for it because when HMRC, if they want to check, they want to see something physical evidence. So something like from the council tax office. So the difference between, so the 10-year rule is it could be the same property. Somebody buys it after it's been empty for two years, they refurbish it and they get the refurbishments of 5%, but when they sell it, it's exempt. So they that can't same property, And yes, so they can't claim that 5% back. That same property, someone else leaves it and 10 years later, that's still empty. So they buy it, they refurbish it. Yes, again, at 5%. But when it comes to selling that property, that property, because it's been empty for more than 10 years, is no longer residential. Oh, wow. Okay. So that becomes then a new residential property that you can sell as a zero rated because it's a first grant of a major interest. Again, like you're selling a new property. Oh, okay. So that's the difference between the two. And that situation is a lot harder to get proof that it was. Yeah. And again, proof wise, you'd be looking at council tax bills, even looking at energy companies and things like yes, that. Yes. But the energy companies and the council tax won't give you the proof. They have to give it to the seller. Yes. So I've had a situation where I had a client who had purchased this house that had been empty for 10 years and then they inquired about the, well, well, actually what happened was they didn't realise that they could reclaim the input tax. Nice, well, this property's been empty for 10 years. We put a voluntary disclosure and recover that input tax that you didn't recover so we did but then hmrc wanted proof and then that's where he was struggling then he was having to go back and find the old owner and ask them to get in touch i suppose the other thing would be if you take photographs if it's that derelict yeah. the photographs prove there's no way anyone could live in it and then proof yeah maybe the water and the electric had been turned off but that, that's another thing i suppose that we're, we're talking about planning and we're saying clients you need to come to us early on so we can help you the other thing is actually there is potential if you've done something wrong or you've not recovered that or you've charged that when you shouldn't there's always potential that actually we can go back to hmrc and try and recover things for you so that's something that we should maybe talk about on another podcast <laughs> uh, the client on a, on a stamp duty issue because they bought 
they were buying a, a property off a deceased person, but unfortunately the executors had already distributed the asset to the beneficiaries first. Yeah. Just before that, we could have got it off executors and got an exemption from stamp duty, but yeah. because they were a month too late, we couldn't help them. Mm. Yeah. Again, so it's, like, it's just it's getting like, the clients. I suppose the way it's just getting to talk to you on a constant basis. Um, well, I think, I think the big problem is obviously a lot of the clients won't know these yeah, things. Exactly. So they don't know what they're looking for in order to make savings. So, which is why before you do any purchase, you want to speak to people like Simon and Jane to go, this is what I'm doing. Am I missing anything? And yeah. they can say, yes, here's how you save a fortune. Yeah, and so, we're always happy to have a free no obligation chat to see if yeah. we can help you. So nobody should be afraid of picking up the phone to speak to us. Sure. Because um, we'll always have a chat. And, and if we can't help you, then, you know, we'll hands up and say, well, actually, there's nothing we can do. Yeah. You know, but usually we can help. So the big kind of takeaways from this are, with residential property, there are ways to reclaim back input tax that's been spent on VAT. Despite what kind of people may, may think, there's reliefs on the costs, on the tax, and, but there's also ways in which you can reclaim it, even if they are residential buildings that have exempt supplies. So like you're selling normal residential companies, like we talked about in the beginning with partial exemption. So there are benefits out there and also there's ways in which you structure the business and from the outset where you can reclaim a lot of those costs so especially in property development these costs can be really really high and it can save you an awful lot of money in the long run as long as you structure it in the right way get advice and obviously make sure that that company that's doing it is registered for that as well because obviously it's all well and good getting a bill for, I don't know, 100 grand plus VAT from your builder, but you can't then reclaim that if you're building a new home or something like that, if your company isn't registered for that. So if there's a scenario where someone maybe has done that and they're not yet registered for that, can they go back in time at all? Is there any time frames on that, Jane, that they can go back and say, well, sorry, Mr. Batman, we hadn't quite got our registration done, but now we have, can we then reclaim back that big bill that we spent a few months ago. When it comes to uh, VAT registration, when it comes to voluntary VAT registering, you can only voluntary VAT register going back four years. Okay, so you can go back four years though, which is significant. You can, yes. But if you should have, if you was making taxable supplies and you was exceeded the threshold, HMRC can take you back to 1972. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's a different story. So yeah, so if you've incurred costs that might be over four years, yeah. then there's also pre-registration rules whereby there's a potential then that you can get back four and a half years because you can go back from your, back, your date of back registration, go back six months with services mm. and four years with goods. So if you've still got the goods on hand at the date of back registration, then you could recover the input tax. So how, how would that work then if you've got, maybe you did a property development, you built it all out and there were various supplies that input tax things like professional fees like we talked about various other things that you spent which mounted up and then you sold all those properties so you don't have the goods anymore and your business was not registered for that at the time would you be able to then register that business and then go back and claim those input costs 
You would, yes, because you'd be accounting for the sales that you've made. So when I say regards to goods have got to be on hand at date of registration, that's because if you bought, say for instance, you bought goods in six years ago, sold them five years, then you're back registered on the fourth year. Yeah. HMRC never, there was the goods that were sold in the fifth year was never declared to HMRC. So you can't recover that input tax. But if you're going back and back registering four years because you sold a house two years ago, you're going to have sold the house when you were back registered. So even though it would be zero rated, it'd still be declared on the back return. So yes, so there is situations where you can go back, back register, even where you've already sold the house, but we'd just have to declare it on the back return, but it would be nilled at anyway because it's zero rated. Yeah, yeah. But obviously you're looking at claiming back so some of those professional costs and things like that, aren't yes. you? There's another thing as well, but I suppose it's more viable when it's a bigger project. Yeah. We can have a design and build contract. So yeah. where professional fees are always 20%. Yeah, they're lumped into that contract. Yes. If you have a design and build contract, then the entire cost would be, if you're building a new build, would be zero rated. Or if it's a conversion, would be 5%. Yeah. So that's another good cash flow. Um, yeah, exactly. And um, we've done, I think we've done a, one with Chris Smart, who's a surveyor, um, about all the different types of contracts that you can use. And obviously, design and build um, has lots of benefits, but also a couple of negatives, which are usually the price is, is, yeah, uh, yeah. is a lot higher. So it's, it's again like any decision. You're looking at the commerciality of it all, where, where where you might save in one place, it might cost you a bit more somewhere else. So it's just doing the numbers, isn't it? It is, yes. Brilliant. Okay. Well, I, yeah. I mean, that's really helpful. That. A few things there that I had no idea about, like the 10-year zero rating for vacant properties, which I think is, is brilliant. And also going back in time to reclaim that for a company that wasn't registered at, at that time, I think is a definite definite winner. I'm going to be going through some of my previous things to see if there's anything I can kind of I can claim back there. So yeah, really useful. Thanks very much, Jane. And um, yeah, and the, the disapplication, um, so dis trying to get the option to tax disapplied on commercial properties that you intend to convert is always a good one as well. Yeah. yeah. Just on that. So on a commercial property, let's say it is opted for tax. Isn't there a rule around if it was done within the last 20 years or something like that, you can't then disapply that. Is that, am I right? Sort of. (laughs) So (laughs) you as the person who made the option to tax, the opter can revoke the option to tax after 20 years. But yeah, but the purchaser can disapply that option to tax if it's going to convert that property into residential. Okay, but if they're buying it as a going concern, they can't disapply it. No, if you was buying a business as a going concern, so that could be a property rental business or actually a corner shop, and um, there's property involved and that property is opted, then as part of the TOGC conditions, the purchaser has to opt to tax that property and they have to be that registered, opt to tax property before the relevant date, and they have to make declarations within the purchase and sale agreement to meet the various conditions of the transfer of a going concern. And then then in that, that's the saving of, there's no VAT on the transfer, it's disregarded, and again, stamp duty saving on the property side of things. But then obviously... If the conditions are met as a a going concern, you can't disapply that, you can't say, I don't want to have that, that's just by default. Yes, that's right, it's by default. It is a going concern or it isn't a going concern. But with an option, really. Yeah, so a lot of people say, oh, well, we can just charge that because the purchaser can can recover it. But then there's no, you can't because 
it's incorrectly charged VAT and incorrectly charged VAT isn't recoverable. So again, I've, I remember a story when I worked for an accountancy firm a few years ago where we was acting for the purchaser and we was buying property as a transfer of a going concern and the accountants didn't speak to me for some strange reason and decided to deal with it themselves. They put in the VAT registration for the purchaser, they opted to tax the building for the purchaser but none of the, the VAT registration hadn't come through and the acknowledgement the option to tax hadn't come through from HMRC. So the accountant believed we've not met the conditions and therefore allowed the seller to charge his client VAT. So then when his client went to recover that VAT, and they said, because it doesn't matter because you can just recover that VAT. It's fine because you're making taxable supplies. So then by the time the client was VAT registered and the option to tax had been sorted and then he put in his claim for his £50,000 VAT, HMRC said, we can't have this back. It was a transfer of a going concern because look, your date of VAT registration and option to tax is before the relevant date of the transfer. Mm. So the accountant was like, yeah, but we didn't have the documents. And said, well, it doesn't matter because you asked to be VAT registered on that date. Yeah. So then they had the issue of then going back to the seller to say, you need to refund me £50,000. Well, the seller had gone to Marbella by then, hadn't he? Treated himself to a nice property in the sun. Have 50 grand. <laughs> so, yeah, that's one little horror story. It's quite important, like, not to forget that bit. Yeah, and uh, that's something that's going on with us now. It's similar, so we're buying something now, and uh, I was concerned about a similar thing. Well, are we okay because we haven't actually got the registration through, but because yes. it was admitted by the date, it was all good. So, yes. yeah, very interesting. All right, brilliant. Well, I think we've gone through loads more than I expected today, and I've learned a huge amount, as I always do with you both. So thank you very much. And I will make sure that there is a link in the show notes with your email as well. If anyone does have any questions about that and about purchases they're making or things they're doing in their business where they're concerned that maybe they might not understand that implications 100%, then I can wholeheartedly recommend Jane and Simon, who've done some work for me on various different transactions, and it's always been very financially viable to speak to them, to say the least. So thanks again for coming on, and uh, I'm sure we'll do another one soon. Great pleasure. Thank you. Please join me next time for more detailed discussions about property on The Rodcast.